Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Real Green Show. Thanks for your overwhelming response to last week's show. I can tell you really like the new format. As a reminder, you can listen to the show in podcast form, or even better, watch the show on the Jamrock Organics YouTube channel. In today's show, we'll take a look back at a few of the most important stories that occurred last week in the world of cannabis. And stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal a couple of my personal predictions for the cannabis industry in 2021. I'm your host, Garth Case, and this is The Real Green Show. Our first story today, the USDA finally releasing its regulations for hemp. This comes two years after hemp was legalized in 2018. While the new regulations are still far from perfect, they provide some much needed clarity for the hemp industry. One of the major changes to the regulations is that hemp processors no longer have to destroy their crops if THC levels test above 0.03%. The new limit of 1% is a welcome change that in the end will save processors money and allow consumers who use CBD access to better quality and more effective product. In our next story, New Jersey's legalization of cannabis has stalled. Governor Phil Murphy met with legislative leaders about marijuana legalization, but did not reach a deal. The major sticking point here has to do with underage use and the laws that should apply to those who are under the age of 21. The debate also centers around the fundamental differences between legalization and decriminalization. Murphy's administration wants to make sure there are penalties for those who are under 21. In my opinion, no one should be arrested or have a criminal record for cannabis possession. With that statement, I'm not condoning underage use of cannabis. In fact, I advocate the need for constructive solutions that don't treat underage users like criminals. Our next story, Governor Andrew Cuomo from New York released his legalization plan details, and it gives clear indication that Governor Cuomo still has some work to do as negotiations begin. Here are a few of the highlights. There will be no home grow option for medical cannabis patients or recreational consumers. Also, there will be an allocation of $100 million in cannabis taxes spread over four years to communities most impacted by prohibition. These numbers seem really low, in my opinion, given the projected size of the New York market. Municipalities with populations of 100,000 or more will have until the end of 2021 to opt out of allowing marijuana businesses to operate in their area. There does not appear to be any licenses for delivery services or for on-site consumption at dispensaries, but he's expecting regulators to create additional license types, which leaves the door open for those licenses to potentially come online in the future. His outline provides for a caterer's permit, which would allow the service and sale of cannabis products at functions like concerts or parties during certain hours. There will be no vertical integration for adult-use cannabis businesses. This means a single entity is not allowed to own multiple licenses. However, it appears that existing medical cannabis organizations may be able to submit applications for recreational licenses and stay vertically integrated. This for sure will be negotiated by legislators because this stipulation will keep the larger multi-state providers away, which is not necessarily a bad thing to give new startups and disenfranchised communities a chance at industry market share. Cuomo proposes a single individual executive director 
of the new Office of Cannabis Management, which would be responsible for regulating both the marijuana and hemp industries. This sounds like a terrible idea to me. It's a potential recipe for corruption and not to mention a bottleneck to the process of getting anything done. The governor is also calling for three types of taxes on recreational cannabis products, one based on THC content to be applied at the wholesale level, a 10.25% surcharge tax at the point of purchase by consumers, as well as applicable state and local sales taxes. This tax structure could hurt the success of the regulated market and will give the unregulated market competitive advantage. In our next story, the American Medical Association asked a court in Mississippi to overturn the People's Medical Marijuana Vote. The lawsuit argues that the legalization proposal is invalid because of a state law that dictates the percentage of signatures required per district to qualify a ballot initiative. A quote from the lawsuit went on to say, making sure the constitutional amendment map is followed is always important. But given the nature of the initiative at issue and the substantial ramifications it poses for Mississippi's public health and medical community, particular care is warranted here, end quote. The AMA also argues that outside of the statutory concerns outlined in the suit, the Medical Cannabis Legalization Initiative, and I quote, possesses significant risks to public health and puts a burden on Mississippi physicians, end quote. Now to say this is crazy is an understatement. You can sense a great deal of desperation in the court filing. The medical associations are now making a last ditch effort to overturn the will of Mississippi's voters. This is just another attack on democracy, orchestrated this time by a group that is clearly in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industry. Paul Armentano, deputy director of Normal said, AMA's position is woefully out of step with both public opinion and scientific consensus, as well as the opinions of the majority of physicians. It is regrettable that this organization would go on record in attempting to nullify the vote of a supermajority of Mississippi voters." End quote. Now, so you know, more than 72% of voters supported the legalization of medical cannabis in Mississippi. I'm looking forward to see how this all turns out. In our next story, Joe Biden has picked Rachel Levine as his assistant health secretary. She currently serves as Pennsylvania's health secretary, and the significance of this choice is that she is an open advocate for medical cannabis and has written positively about it in the past. Of course, her first priority as assistant health secretary will be centered around fighting the COVID-19 virus, but it's good to have a voice of reason for cannabis in the Office of Health. In sharp contrast to Ms. Levine's nomination, we have the appointment of Jamie LaBelle, who has been named acting director and deputy director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy. This role is otherwise known as the drug czar. Ms. LaBelle's position is not 100% clear but she's linked with an anti-legalization group known as SAM, stands for Smart Approaches to Marijuana, who promotes decriminalization over legalization. This would undoubtedly make for some lively debate as the federal government tackles the topic of full legalization. And speaking of legalization, in our last story of the week, Donald Trump pardons cannabis prisoners on his last day in office. We can file this one under, did not see this coming. The outgoing president, as one of his final acts in the White House, granted clemency 
to several people with marijuana and drug convictions. Now, the story here is not just that President Trump pardoned people with marijuana convictions. It's really whether or not these people should have been incarcerated and given these ridiculous sentences in the first place. To illustrate this point, here are a few of the people who were lucky enough to be pardoned, the sentences they got, and the reason they were incarcerated. Starting with John Nock. Mr. Nock is a 73-year-old man, a first-time, non-violent marijuana-only offender who has served 24 years of a life sentence. Next is Anthony Dijon. Mr. Dijon has served more than 13 years of a life sentence for a conspiracy to distribute marijuana. Corvain Cooper. Mr. Cooper is a 41-year-old father of two girls who has served more than seven years of a life sentence for his nonviolent participation in a conspiracy to distribute marijuana. James Romans. Mr. Romans is a father and a grandfather who received a life sentence without parole for his involvement in a conspiracy to distribute marijuana. He spent 10 years in prison. Now, the list goes on and on, but I think you are starting to see a trend here. These sentences are more in line with first-degree murder than marijuana possession. That's last week's news in cannabis. Stay tuned for my predictions in cannabis for 2021. Remember to follow and subscribe to Stay in the Loop. And we welcome your comments and feedback about the show. Tweet us at Jamrock Organics and check out the episode notes in the description for lots more information about Jamrock and The Real Green Show. Now let's get to some predictions. In 2021, the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic recovery will undoubtedly continue to be the focus for us all. However, I do believe this year we will see some movement on the Safe Banking Act, which will allow banks to recognize the legitimacy of the cannabis industry. The act has bipartisan support and should move forward once it's brought to the floor. This is expected to result in an influx of access to traditional funding and capital, as well as drive innovation for the cannabis industry. For my second prediction, I expect to see movement in favor of decriminalization, but no widespread support for legalization until a study on its feasibility and impact is performed. President Biden has never been a fan of legalization, and so he will drag his feet on this issue in 2021. That's it for the show. Thanks for joining us and see you next week. Stay healthy and stay safe.